Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, I thank you for your presence here again this morning, and I thank you for uh, just your constant provision in our lives. I pray your blessing uh, over every gift, uh, over every giver, in Jesus' name. Uh, and church, I'm going to ask you to do something with me just because uh, at this moment it's on my heart. And I'm going to ask you to participate where you are. And, that, and that's just to pray for our uh, brothers and sisters in Turkey and Syria right now who are uh, dealing with so much. So if, if we can just take a moment, uh, Lord, we lift up those who right now uh, in Turkey and Syria uh, are just dealing with so much pain and grief and loss, Lord. And I pray that uh, for those who, uh, who know you, I pray this would be a time where they are... Uh, drawn to you, that your spirit would comfort them. Uh, and to those who don't know you, God, I pray that this would be a, a moment where they are turned to you, God, uh, that this would be a, a wake-up call that, that leads them to you. Uh, just be with those who, who are dealing with so much loss and grief in this mo- mo- uh, moment. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, hey, uh, oh, tithes and offerings. Okay. And uh, one announcement. Uh, March 11th, we are going to attempt to do a church work day. Uh, and we have work for every skill level from doing siding and some things outside to doing some paint touch-ups. Uh, and, and kind of the amount of work that we're going to do that day is going to depend on how many people we have here. Uh, so if you could let me or Dave Fisher. Dave, can you wave? Uh, he's the other bald guy in the room. It's me and him. Uh, so uh, no offense, Dave. Um, <laughs> uh, if you could let us know, because that'll let us know how much to prepare for uh, on that day. You rock it, though, Dave. You, you rock it, I'm telling you. All right, we're going to continue uh, this morning in the Gospel of John. We're looking today at uh, chapters 7 and 8, and next week uh, we're going to do two chapters again. It'll be chapters 9 and 10 next week. So if you can read that uh, throughout the week, and we'll post it on Facebook if that's helpful for you. Uh, But what I want to do this morning is a little bit different. I want to consider a perspective uh, within this storyline that we really don't uh, consider very often uh, because as we we consider this other perspective, we're going to see two storylines within the Gospel of John that are playing off of one another. And that perspective is the lens or the perspective of the religious leaders of that day. We're going to kind of look at the perspective of the Sadducees and the Pharisees Uh, What we've been seeing as we're going through the Gospel of John is kind of this intensity, uh, this progression of intensity in terms of the way people are responding to Jesus and to his message. Uh, If you remember back in John 4, it begins by saying that the the Pharisees were beginning to to learn of Jesus' fame, so Jesus actually left to avoid the confrontation. But that's not the case anymore beginning in John 5. It's definitely not the case anymore by the time we get to chapters 7 and 8. And in fact, if we look at chapters 6 through 8, what we find is this progression is really clear uh, because it begins with the people grumbling and then the people are arguing uh, and then some of the people leave. That's all in chapter 6. In chapter 7, they begin calling Jesus demon-possessed and they seek to seize him and then they seek to arrest him. Uh, And then we get to chapter 8, and again, they are challenging him, and and they are arguing with him. And again, in chapter 8, they call him a demon-possessed Samaritan, and they're getting angrier and angrier at Jesus. Uh, And their anger finally culminates at the end of chapter 8, when Jesus makes this unmistakable claim that he is, in fact, God. 
Uh, you'll remember this, this part of the story when Jesus said, hey, uh, uh, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing me. And the people responded and said, you're not even 50 years old. What are you talking about? He rejoiced at seeing you. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. It was a clear, clear reference to the book of Exodus when God said, tell them that I am has sent you to Moses. And this anger from that moment culminates in chapter 8, verse 59. And we're going to read that together. It just says, at this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So this is kind of the, the apex of their anger in this moment towards Jesus. Uh, they're, they're at a point now where they're done with the arguing. They don't want to seize him. They don't want to arrest him. They want to kill him. And they pick up stones to do it. Now what I want to do is I want to ask why? From the perspective of the Pharisees, why are they doing this? And a good little nugget to always keep in mind uh, is simply that everyone acts the way they act for a reason. They act in a way that makes sense to them. So if you're deal dealing with uh, difficult people, and uh, just remember, they act the way they act for a reason. And, and usually it's because they've been deeply hurt or wronged, and what they need from you is grace. Uh, some of you know I've been substituting some of the, the schools here uh, because gas is really expensive right now. Um, but... Especially when I substitute at that junior high age level, I sit at that desk all day and I think to myself, they act this way for a reason. <laughs> they act this way for a reason. And this week I, I subbed at the, the junior high in, in one of the schools here and I came home and I told Emily, I said, uh, well, the good news is uh, I'm inspired for a, a new service at the church that is geared directly towards the families with junior high age group uh, and we can offer prayer for all the parents and exorcisms for all the children. So if we did that, the schools would call us. They, they would want to take field trips to the church. No. Uh, okay, that was mean. But uh, now, now let's take this idea to the Pharisees here. If everyone acts the way that they do for a reason, uh, why are the Pharisees acting this way in so much anger and hostility towards Jesus? Are they just angry people? And of course, that's not the correct answer. Uh, as the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they viewed themselves uh, basically as the protectors and the guardians of the Jewish re religion. And as misguided as they were in all of this, they believed in this moment that they were protecting their flock from a false messiah. Uh, they believed they had convinced themselves that they were, uh, they were acting in the people's best entrance, interest because Jesus did not look like the Messiah that they were expecting. Uh, the Messiah that, that they pictured in their minds uh, would look a certain way. He would act a certain way. Uh, he would abide by the law of Moses. He would uphold the law. And, and Jesus was actually transitioning the people away from the law and into the gospel of grace. Uh, the, the Messiah that, that they were looking for would be a warrior king who would overthrow the Roman government and reestablish Israel uh, to national prominence, uh, not a humble carpenter uh, who was just teaching uh, the word of God and teaching love. This, this was not who they were looking for. So the religious leaders, again, this was misguided on their part, but they see this Jesus character as an existen existential threat 
to Judaism. They believe this guy is leading the people into deception and they don't want, want to let another false Messiah come along and lead people astray. And I, I want you to notice that I said another false Messiah uh, because many people had come before Jesus claiming to be the Messiah. And in Acts chapter 5, it actually talks about a couple of those, a guy named uh, Theudas who had about 400 disciples before he was killed uh, and they all dispersed. And then there was another guy, they called him Judas the Galilean, and he had a group of followers and he was killed and they all dispersed. So it was not unusual for there to be a false Messiah coming along claiming to be the Messiah. And Jesus warned uh, that after he was gone, many more would come claiming to be the Messiah. And we have seen this. We actually still have this going on today with various cults that rise and fall. And uh, if you search this, if you just Google it, uh, there are Wikipedia pages dedicated to the amount of people who have claimed to be Jesus or claimed to be the Messiah. I mean, it, it's, uh, it goes by the centuries for you because there are so many. Some are even alive today. There's a guy in Florida who claims to be Jesus uh, right now. Um, my point is this, the Pharisees, they did everything that they did for a reason. Uh, they were blind to who it was who stood before them, uh, and they convinced themselves that they were doing this for the people's own good. And this storyline really comes to a boiling point at the end of chapter 8 when they pick up these stones to kill Jesus. And the irony of this is it's also in chapter 8 that another storyline in the Gospel of John really comes into focus. Uh, this other storyline is taking place at the exact same time, and it offers kind of this ironic twist to what's happening. What's happening is the religious leaders are concerned with Jesus being the false Messiah. And Jesus is now concerned with the people being false disciples. And this is happening at the exact same time in the Gospel of John. If we look at the last few chapters, the Pharisees believe that they are just weeding out another false Messiah. And Jesus has now begun weeding out false disciples. And I'm going to show you this in detail this morning. But uh, first, I want you to see that this whole thing that's happening, it didn't take Jesus by surprise. And actually, he said this is exactly what would happen when Jesus told the parable of the soils. It's, it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, he said that the word of God would be scattered like seed. Some would fall along the hard path, some in rocky paths, some among the thorns, and some would fall on good soil. And uh, in Luke's account, I want to read the, the meaning of the gospel or of this parable that he gave. Uh, it's in Luke 8, beginning in verse 11. He said, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path uh, are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Then he says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word of God with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So just in these first two soils, initially we have very different reactions to the seed. In the first scenario, the seed is rejected altogether. This person never believes. The second scenario begins in a way that is its polar opposite, where the first soil rejected the seed from the start. The second soil receives the seed with joy. The person believes, and this is the same word we went over last week that means to have faith. So this person actually has faith. 
The problem is they only believe for a time. They only have faith for a time. And in times of testing, they fall away. So what we have is vastly different beginnings and the exact same end, the exact same result. And, and I'm going to say something, and I want you to hear me closely uh, because it pertains to every person in this room. The ultimate goal is not for you to come to faith. The ultimate goal is for you to remain in the faith. The ultimate goal is not for you to simply come to the faith, but for you to remain in the faith. Uh, the book of Revelation is full of this language of endurance and perseverance. Jesus said twice in the Gospel of Matthew that the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And what we find throughout the Gospels is many examples of people who had faith in Jesus when he gave him, them what they wanted and told them what they wanted to hear. But when he stopped doing that, they turned away from the faith. Uh, we saw it last week, and, and we see it again this week, and it's actually just kind of easy to miss in this week's reading, so we're going to look at it together in John 8, uh, beginning in verse 30. It says this, Even as Jesus spoke, many believed him. Then the, uh, to the Jews, the next verse, To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Now, the significance here is if you follow this story, this group here is the group that tried to stone Jesus a few verses later. The ones who believed in him are the ones who at the end of chapter 8 pick up the stones to kill Jesus. Just like that. They had faith in this moment. But just like that, their faith turns to anger, turns to animosity and the desire to kill him. And it's, it's, it's this trend now because uh, if you remember last week, we looked at John 60 or 6 verse 60. And it says, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And on verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So again, we have this happening uh, two times within two chapters, a group of believers, a group of people with faith, a group of disciples actually turn away and decide to no longer follow Jesus. Now, uh, uh, Jesus knows who he's talking to. He said earlier that he knew the hearts of man. He knows he's talking to a group of people who are going to turn on him in a heartbeat. Uh, uh, so that kind of leads us back to verse 31. And Jesus says uh, two things very specifically, or verse 31 tells us two things. It tells us where the people are in that moment and where Jesus wants them to be. Uh, to the Jews who had believed him, this is where they are in the moment. But he wants to get them from point A to point B. They already believe. So what is point B? Uh, really my disciples, not just my disciples, but really that word means truly, actually my true disciples. Uh, to those who already believed in him, he said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really, truly my disciple in that moment. What we have uh, is we have believers who stop believing. We have disciples who stop following. So Jesus gives an added distinction of how to become a true disciple to get from point A to B. And he says, to do this, you hold to my teaching. If you hold to my teachings, you will truly be my disciples. And the language here is the same word that Jesus uses in John 15 when he says, abide. And he says it over and over and over. Abide, abide, abide in me, abide in my word, abide in my love. It means to continue, uh, continually be present 
in that place, to never depart from that place and to dwell in that place. And do you want to know what that means to us? It means that the teachings of Jesus Christ are not there for us to just uh, turn to when we're in a, in a bind or when, when we're in a pinch, when we don't know what to do in a moment. The, the words of Jesus Christ are there to guide our every step of life. That's what it means to abide in the word of God is that it influences every moment and every decision of your life. And Jesus says, as you continue in his teachings and as you abide and remain present in his teachings, then you move from this place of simple belief over to, to becoming a true disciple. And then he says in verse 32, then... Uh, when is then? Then is when, when you continue in his word, when you continue in his teachings, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, probably one of the most out of, taken out of context statements in all of scripture. Uh, this is on the walls of many universities in the United States. It's on the walls of our CIA uh, headquarters. Uh, it, it's all over the place, the idea of the, the, the knowledge of truth will set you free. But what Jesus is talking about here is, is twofold. He's talking about the truth as in he's the way, the truth, and the life, and he will set you free. And the truth in terms of his teachings, he said, the word of God, his word is truth. And Jesus was saying, uh, as you do your best to live out the teachings of Jesus Christ, uh, what you'll discover is the teachings of Christ, bless you, Melanie, the, the teachings are not there to confine you or restrict you, but actually to free you. And I think that is one of the the, the greatest misconceptions uh, that the outside world has of the church is that we're just in here to follow a bunch of rules in the scripture that we are confined by the Bible. But Jesus actually said, when you follow him, what you learn is you were confined already. You just didn't know it. And the word of God and the person of Christ brings freedom to your life. Uh, that's what we find actually happening here because he tells the people, uh, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they argue because they say, uh, we're already free. <laughs> We're children of Abraham. What are you talking about? Uh, in verse 32, he says, uh, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied in verse 34, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And a sin has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs forever. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And in the context, what we find, this freedom that, that Jesus is actually talking about is a freedom from sin. He says, as you walk in the truth and with the truth, it frees you not only from sin in practice, but from sin in terms of the, the eternal consequences of sin. And I love what Jesus says in verse 36. He says, you'll be free indeed, uh, or free actually, because they thought they were free already. So he says, no, if you find freedom, if the sun sets you free, then you'll actually be free. You'll be free indeed. Um, but I want to reconnect you, if I could, uh, all of this to something Jesus said in the parable. Remember, this trend is happening where many people are believing, but only for a while, and then we, they fall away. And if we return to the parable, uh, it gives us an interesting analogy regarding why this would happen. In verse 13 of Luke, 
says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the, the time of testing, or Matthew and Mark say in the time of trouble or persecution or adversity, they fall away. Uh, I want you to see something that is crucial in this passage. Uh, the reason that people fall away from the faith is not the testing. It's not the trouble, it's not the persecution, it's not the storms of life. The reason that people fell away is they have no root. That's the reason that people fall away from the faith. And I can make you a promise this morning that I don't really want to make you, but, but I can. And that's that you'll face adversity in this life. Uh, you'll face storms in this life. Uh, uh, testing, times of testing when... when will come and, and when those times come, um, it's not the adversity that will determine your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to God uh, will not be determined by the intensity of the storm. Your faithfulness to God will be determined by the depths of your roots. Do you understand that? If you are rooted and grounded in Christ, then come what may, you're rooted and grounded in Christ. And can I just tell you, when the storms of life come, that's not the time to start planting roots and growing roots. This is the time to grow your roots right now. Uh, Emily and I met uh, in Florida, and we lived in Florida for the first couple years of our marriage. Uh, and when we decided to move to Pennsylvania, we moved up uh, in the month of February, I think it was 2015, and it was in the 70s when we left Florida, and we were snowed in the day that we got here uh, into, into Pennsylvania. And in fact, uh, on the way up in our U-Haul, we hit a snowstorm uh, in North Carolina, uh, and we were trying to figure out why the windshield wiper fluid stopped working. And it's because in Florida, you don't use windshield wiper fluid. You use water. Uh, that doesn't work so well when you get up north and it gets really cold. You don't have to worry about that in Florida. But, but there's this saying in Florida, uh, if you don't like the weather, give it an hour. Uh, because Florida is one of those places where the weather just changes constantly. And it'll be clear blue skies and, and you won't see a cloud in the sky. And, and you'll uh, go inside to get a drink and come back out. And it's nothing but dark clouds and a storm's a brewing. And, and it's just like that. And you're like, where did this come from? Uh, and then there's hurricane season. Now, uh, my parents actually have uh, a small house uh, in Florida uh, a few blocks away from a beach called Mexico Beach. And most people have never heard of Mexico Beach. Uh, and if they have, they didn't until a few years ago. And that's because in 2018, Hurricane Michael made landfall in Mexico Beach. Uh, and it devastated the area. Restaurants and houses, they're, they're just gone. Uh, the roads were lifted up and taken away. The, the winds were 155 miles an hour. Uh, and my parents' house is just far enough off the beach that it wasn't destroyed. They were able to repair it. Uh, but I asked them, because uh, they're at the beach right now uh, in the nice weather, um, no bitterness in that. But uh, I, I asked them if they could take a couple pictures and just send them to me. Uh, so they took these pictures yesterday. And the first picture, if you'll put that up, uh, Greg, uh, is it's a field that used to be a field of pine trees. Uh, I mean, there used to be pine trees everywhere here until the hurricane came through, and it just uprooted all of the pine trees. Uh, and that's because pine trees 
the root system actually only goes usually less than 12 inches deep. I don't know if you know that about pine trees. It's a very shallow root system. But on the same beach that had the exact same storm, there are palm trees. And there's a picture that they took of this, of a palm tree that went through the exact same storm, uh, the same battering from the winds. And uh, the thing about palm trees is they have a completely different root system. They, they go three to four deep, uh, feet deep. And then after they get deep, they spread out. And what happens is this storm comes through and it's wiping everything out. The roads and the houses and the pine trees, they're all gone. But because of the root system of the palm tree, uh, it'll bend, but it won't break. It'll bend, but it, it won't become un, uh, unrooted and, and it'll survive the storm. And, and I think back to where we left off last week with Peter, because there was this moment where Jesus' teachings got really confusing and they got really hard to hear and the vast majority of the disciples up and left. Uh, and Jesus asked the 12, uh, are you leaving too? And, and Peter's response, we looked at it last week, we'll look at it again. In John chapter 6, verse 68, Peter answered him, Lord, Lord to whom shall we go? Uh, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And, and I believe what's happening here uh, is they have transitioned as disciples because they've walked with Jesus so long where he says, we've come to believe. Well, lots of people came to believe and still walked away. And then he says, and we've come to know. Uh, that word is an experiential, intimate knowledge. And he says, we, we now know who you are through experience. And, and I love that Peter didn't say, hey, Jesus, they're all really confused about what you said, but because we understand it, we're going to stay. No, they were just as confused as everyone else. But Peter said, hey, we know who you are. I don't have to understand this situation. I don't have to understand this moment to say that, I'm not going anywhere because I have experienced you and I know who you are. I have gone from that place where I believed in you to now I know you. So that would lead to this question. Renee, you could come. Uh, how do you know that you have come to know him? And maybe John knew that you would ask that question because John answers that question later in one of his letters. In First uh, John uh, chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 3, he says, uh, We know that we have come to know him. Exact same thing that, that Peter said, we've come to know you. John says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not uh, do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word... Love for God is truly made complete in them, and this is how we know we are in Him. Verse 6, whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus lived. I mean, how, how much more clear can you make it than that? Peter says, if, you're, if you are a true disciple and you, you truly know Him, then your life should reflect the life of Jesus Christ. He says right here that, that part of knowing him is obeying him, or as Jesus put it, continuing in his teachings. This is what makes disciples, that we continue in his teachings and that we abide by the word of God. 
and that we obey the Word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to just challenge you to do uh, today and this week and, and from this moment is grow roots. Begin to, to, to put down your roots and to, to learn and to know the person and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you three things to make that easy. How do you do it? It's time spent in prayer. Time spent in prayer outside of 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. Time spent in prayer. Time spent in worship. Again, outside of this church. Worshiping from your own heart. Time spent in worship and time spent in the Word. Time spent in the Bible in your own time. Studying the words of Christ. Because what Jesus said is, My true disciples, they abide in my Word and they never leave that place. They are always present with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And, and it's really hard to live that out if, you only be, uh, if you're only fed on Sunday mornings. Can you stand with me, church? Father, my prayer this morning is that this is a, a house and a church and a building full of true disciples. his haircut and let's go home thank you for listening to this week's message don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week and as always from all of us at cranberry community church may god bless you